1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with the 13th verse. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night and to the darkness. So then, let us be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. We ask God that you take your word now and imprint it upon our hearts and imprint it upon our minds. Transform our thinking, transform our lives to reflect the image of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm sure that you've said those words or you've turned around to the back seat in your car and said, don't say those words again. It's that five-year-old kindergartner. Are we there yet? But that mindset of the five-year-old is really one of eager expectation. The reason they're asking, are we there yet, is because they want to be there. They want to be at grandma's, or they want to be at the, the restaurant. They want to be at the game. They want to be there. And the moment you leave, they have eager expectation that they're going to arrive. Are we there yet? An eager expectation. It's the exact same mindset that you and I should have as followers of Jesus Christ. Because followers of Jesus Christ should have lives that are permeated by hope. Hope should permeate the life of a disciple. Just like when you make bacon in your house. When you make bacon, do you know what happens? Everything smells like bacon. You can open windows and it doesn't matter. Right when you walk inside, you know exactly what's going on. Bacon. Or when you're having a campfire, if you have a campfire, what happens? You go home, all of your clothes smell like campfire. Or your neighbor's having a campfire next door, what's the first thing you do? Slam that window a little extra loud so they know that you smell the campfire. The campfire gets a smell and it permeates everything. You don't go anywhere without knowing that person was at a campfire. Well, our lives should be permeated with an eager expectation, a sure confidence of something glorious that's going to happen. A disciple's life should be permeated with hope. You and I should be people of hope. We have an eager expectation. We have a sure confidence that something magnificent is going to happen. 
When you and I talk about hope, we use the word hope in a variety of different ways. We use it kind of as more wishful thinking. So some of you will say today, I hope the Packers will win. Well, we all know that's wishful thinking. It's more kind of that, well, maybe this will happen. We would like it to happen. But when the Bible uses the term hope, it's really using it as a term of eager expectation or sure confidence for that which is going to happen. And why do we know that it's going to happen? The reason that we know it's going to happen is the promise of God, as recorded in the Bible. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4 there, if you look with me down a little bit, in 1 Thessalonians 4 where we read in verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, according to the Lord's own word. In other words, God spoke. God gave them the promise. The reason that they have such confidence in saying, grieve with hope is because the Lord spoke. It's the Lord's promise. But you and I struggle to have lives that are permeated with eager expectation. We struggle to live with this sure confidence. And the reason we struggle to live with a sure confidence or eager expectation is because we get caught in the circumstances around our life. And when we get caught in the circumstances, we begin to lose focus on the promise of God. All of humanity at some point has experienced suffering, has experienced loss, devastation. And it's in those moments where hope disappears quickly because we become engulfed in this mindset that what? Nothing good's going to happen. This is a disaster. Why? Because we're completely focused on the basically everything that's going on around us. We're completely focused on the circumstances of our life. And when we become focused on the circumstances of our life or our own life's experiences, hope is drowned out. That's why we can't be focused on the circumstances of our life or our own experiences, but rather we have to be focused on the promise of God. Anytime we take our eyes off of the promise of God, our lives turn to a life of negativity, anxiety, depression, isolation. But rather we need to have our eyes on the promise of God that goes above all circumstances, that goes above all experiences. And experiences are going to be difficult. We heard in our message this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter says it just right out. He says that your faith is going to undergo all sorts of trials. And if we look at the examples of the people in the Bible, we look at the Apostle Paul. Paul was beaten by Roman soldiers. Paul spent time in prison. When we look at the other disciples, they all underwent persecution. And we look at Jesus himself. Jesus was not exempt from loss. Jesus was not exempt from devastation, suffering, and hurt. It's going to take place. The question is, do we allow it to define us? And do our lives become permeated with anxiety, negativity, depression, and isolation? Or will our lives be permeated with hope, which then will outflow in joy and peace? We, we all know functionally and in our own lives that, that joy and peace are completely dependent upon hope. Without hope, there's no joy or peace. Think of a time when you were hopeless and in despair. You weren't experiencing joy and peace during that time. You were experiencing maybe some anger, maybe some anxiety, some guilt. And anytime there's hopelessness, it robs us of that joy and that peace. Hope brings about joy and peace because we've got the best is yet to come. And for Christians, we are to live with a mindset that says, the best is yet to come. 
What is the best that's yet to come? What is this that we're hoping for? Let's look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it gives just a real clear understanding of what it is we're hoping for. So at the end of verse 13, he says, basically, you can grieve, but don't grieve like those who have no hope. So as followers of Jesus, in verse 13 there, we are going to grieve. We're going to experience loss and devastation. But yet, in the midst of our grief, we're supposed to grieve as people who have hope. So in other words, we're supposed to continue to have a sure confidence and eager expectation. We're not to allow grief to overwhelm us and drown us because when grief overwhelms us, basically we just pull away from others. We pull away from the life God intended us to live. And so we're supposed to grieve with hope. Well, why should we have hope? In verse 14, if you've got the ESV or you've got the the King James, I don't have my ESV today, a member of our church has stolen my Bible and has it in their home thing. And so preaching is struggling today. So if you have the ESV or the, we won't say any names. If, we have, if you have the ESV or the King James, verse 14 starts with the word for. Basically, it's, it's the word that's because. And in other words, it's saying, verse 14 is saying, you can be hopeful because of what I'm going to say right here. Here's the foundation for why you can grieve with hope. And let's, let's look at that, verse 14 and on. Verse 14, the first thing it says is, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The reason we can hope is because the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So the first thing God's word is telling us to do is to look back. Look back at the event of Jesus' death and resurrection because that gives us the confidence of what God is going to do in the future. We can trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. Therefore, we can look to the future. So we look back our confidence, but now what do we look forward to? What's our hope? We look forward to our hope here. Verses 14 to the end of chapter 4 all describes basically the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of humanity. Our hope today is that Jesus returns, establishes a kingdom, and we experience the resurrection of our bodies. There was an ad this last week that I saw on um, CNN or Fox online. Those pop-up ads pop up on the right, and there was an ad of Someone at least, I'm not going to say old, but someone north of 60, so however you consider that, old or young. But this person had just, you know, like the perfect body, no shirt on, and, and the, the ad had said, best is yet to come. And then it went on to describe, it major advances in science allow us to have these bodies uh, for time and time uh, to go on and on. I looked at that picture and I, and I thought to myself, okay, they're stretching a little bit thing. I mean, science has advanced, correct? I mean, it has advanced and life now goes on a little bit longer. However, the reality of the situation is the death rate is still 100%. Even with all the advances of science, the death rate still is 100%. All of us face the exact same destiny, death. And so therefore, if we're going to have an unshakable confidence, if we're going to have an eager expectation we have to have something that overrides our greatest enemy. And and so that's why our hope is is not the improvement of our bodies here on earth. Our hope is not necessarily even the improvement of our circumstances here on earth. But our hope is the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of our bodies. The resurrection of our bodies, we don't talk about a lot, but it's the, the most glorious glorious truth of Scripture that someday our imperishable body will inherit 
uh, our perishable body will inherit an imperishable body. We will be given a brand new body for all of eternity in the kingdom of God. That's our hope, that sickness can no longer touch us, that, that sadness will no longer have reign, because in this everlasting kingdom, there will be only one king, Jesus the Christ. And our hope is the return of Jesus Christ, that when he comes, we experience the resurrection and the return to Jesus himself. We, we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, this verse that says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So it kind of gives this picture that we sometimes see in movies or, or books about end times where there's this king coming on clouds and all of these armies. And, and what happens is we see those pictures in those movies and then we kind of, kind of set that aside a little bit like, well, that's Hollywood. Well, Hollywood enhances and changes things a little bit. However, that is our hope. Our hope is the return of Jesus Christ, that he comes again and establishes a kingdom and all of us experience the resurrection and life in this everlasting kingdom where Jesus is king. And that's why we can have a sure, sure confidence. That's why we can have an eager expectation because nothing that happens to us here and now can affect that hope. The worst thing that can happen to you today, and I don't mean to say this lightly, the worst thing that can happen today is you lose your life. But our hope can't rob us of that because our hope triumphs over that death. Nothing that happens to us can rob us of that hope. And the reason that, that we fall into despair is because our hope is actually not that, but as our hope is things of this world. Our hope is a better job. Our hope is better looks. Our hope is a spouse that will fix us. And what happens is when we get in those situations, and what happens? Oh, it didn't work. So then we begin looking for greener pastures elsewhere. We find a little greener spot, and what? It didn't work. Because the things of this world can't satisfy our greatest longing, can't satisfy our greatest need. Our greatest hope is the return of Jesus, the resurrection of our bodies, and basically life in a restored kingdom. So how is it that we can live with this hope? We can live with this hope, but we need a perspective change. We need to adjust our vision. We need to know, stop focusing on the circumstances and experiences of our life and rather focus on the promises of God. The other day I was over on 26th Street a while back on 26th Street and Cliff. I was in the center lane, and so there's a left turn lane here, and then there's a right turn lane here. I'm at the stoplight about three cars back. The green arrow comes up for turning left, so people start taking a left. The people on the right are kind of stopping and taking a right, so those cars are going to, and the cars on my left are going. And all of a sudden, the car behind me starts honking. Thing, what are you honking for? So I kind of look back, and he's kind of pointing, go, go. And I'm thinking, well, it's a red light. Well, he is looking at what? The car is going by on the left, and the car is going back by on the right. He's not watching the stoplight. It's all about where your focus is. If your focus is on the light, you know it's not our turn to go. And we need to adjust our vision. We need to adjust our vision from, from focusing on the circumstances and experiencing to focusing on the promises of God. And the time to focus on the promises of God is not when the fire begins. When do they always say is the right time to practice your escape route, your fire escape? Before the fire. You don't wait till during the fire because during the fire, it's chaos. Emotion takes over. 
but rather you practice in advance. You get yourself in position to experience that fire. I've heard it said before that a human being is either preparing to go into a season of suffering or in a season of suffering or leaving a season of suffering. Pastor Chuck Swindoll said that the only universal language is suffering. Every human being knows suffering. And because of sin, and because of the destruction in this world today, all of us are either entering into a season of suffering, we're in the middle of one, or we're leaving one. And the time to put our focus, our vision on the promises of God, is not to wait and say, well, we'll see if something happens. We'll wait and see if I need that resurrection. We'll wait and see if I need that king who has everlasting power. The time is now. Because now is when we need to correct our vision. So when the fire comes, we can continue to have that sure confidence. And that sure confidence or that hope is what enables us to experience joy and peace in this life. We need to adjust our vision here and now and not get caught up in that which is going on around us. So what would happen if you and I today said, you know what? We want to be people of hope. We want to be people that live with an eager expectation. We want to be people that have a sure confidence. What would it look like to live as people of hope? There's really a couple of different things that you could say would be practical applications for today if we were going to live as people of hope. The first thing we would do if we're living as people of hope is that we would loosen our grip on the things of this world. If our hope is imperishable of of the world to come, therefore, we should loosen our grip on the things of this world. We need to to lighten up a little bit about things that are meaningless. For a moment, when was the last time you got upset? Think for a second, the last time you just like, oh, you had to just go take a walk. Or, Or the last time you had a little bit of anxiousness. Was the thing you got upset about, did it have eternal significance? We get so excited about the meaningless. We, we get so excited and fired up because we got such a, hold, a tight hold on the things of this world. Think about the things that we fight about most often. At the end of the day, they've got very little value in the eternal kingdom. If, if our hope is imperishable in the world to come, we need to have a loose grip on the things of this world. But the very thing that has the tightest grip on us are the things of this world. We've basically become no earthly good because we've become too earthly focused. We've become no earthly good because we've become too earthly focused. C.S. Lewis commented about this one time and he said the following, It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Basically, C.S. Lewis is arguing that for us to be effective in this world, we have to aim at the next world. And the reason that it allows us to be effective in this world is because it frees us from being enslaved to the things of this world. The church in America used to be the most powerful force in the world, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. The church in America has been the most powerful force in the world at various times. We've sent missionaries all around the globe. We've, we've taken clean water to, to everywhere. And now all of a sudden the American church has become ineffective. 
The American church is just drowning. Now people from South Korea are coming to America to be missionaries. The reason the American church has become so ineffective is because the American church has got too tight of a grip on the materials of this world. We no longer talk about the resurrection. We no longer talk about heaven and hell. It's all about the here and now. And we've completely lost our effectiveness because we've taken our vision off of the promise of God. And we take our vision off the promise of God, we all of a sudden get a tighter grip on everything around us. But we're meant to live with a loose grip. And what's the number one thing that they say when you're taking golf lessons? Have a loosen your grip a little bit. I mean, it feels natural, right, to really grab on tight. Actually, grabbing on tighter sends the ball, I don't know this from experience, but sends the ball to the right or sends the ball to the left. You have to have a looser grip. It doesn't exactly feel natural. But actually, that's where success comes. And for you and I today, if we had a looser grip on the things of this world, our anxieties would, would lower. Because then when we lose things, what happens? It's not that big of a deal. Because our focus is on the promise of God. People of hope are people who have a loose grip on the things of this world. The next thing is, if we're going to live as people of hope, we are going to pursue purity. We are going to pursue purity. Look with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. 1 John 3. 1 John is towards the end of the New Testament. 1 John 3, verse 3. 1 John 3, verse 3. God's word says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So in other words, it's saying that those who have this hope of Jesus Christ coming, those who have this hope of Jesus seek to live lives of purity. Why? Because the one who's coming is pure. So therefore, you and I seek a life of purity. Purity is really a life that's not diluted of the things of this world or the things that are not of God. Why is it that God desires for us to live lives of purity? Because when we live lives of purity, we reflect his image to the world. We give a better reflection of who our creator is. Our problem is this. We're focused more on our circumstances than we are in our character. Think about your prayer life for a moment. We spend most of our time praying for what? Our circumstances to change or improve. God is not interested necessarily in our circumstances. God's interested in our character. So for example, you work for a boss who treats you unfairly. That, that's not good. That's not right. However, most of the time we'd pray what? God, get me a new boss. Maybe God would rather have us pray, God, enable me to act with integrity and even joy in the midst of being treated unfairly. Because God cares more about our character than he does about our circumstance. Because God knows that our circumstance is eternally secure. Think about the Apostle Paul for a second. The Apostle Paul is in prison. God could have easily come down and said, okay, hey, he's my most powerful voice. I'm just going to free him. God does not change Paul's circumstance. But rather, God refines Paul's character and give Paul a desire to glorify God in all situations. God cares today about your character because that is a reflection of him, your creator. If we want to be people of hope, we're going to pursue purity because the one who's coming is pure. 
We're going to have a loose grip on the things of this world. We're going to pursue purity. And then also, we are going to encourage and exhort one another. Look with me back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We get to the end of the section on verse 11 there. He's basically just finished this section where he's been talking about the end time, saying, hey, be ready. Your character needs to be refined. Always be ready for the return of Jesus. And then he finishes in verse 11 by saying, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. People of hope are encouragers. All of us need to hear an outside voice because all of us have an internal voice that's what? Telling us lies. Our own hearts are constantly telling us lies. Our own hearts are constantly telling us, you're not good enough. Our own hearts are telling us, you've been defeated. Just stay down. Who cares about that other stuff? And society and culture is constantly telling us lies, saying, hey, you're only valuable if you can do X, Y, or Z. What we need is we need an outside voice that reflects God's word, God's truth to us. We need to be encouragers. Everybody in this room today needs to be a coach. There's other people that are running the race. You need to come alongside them and say, hey, stay in the race. We've got your back. I know it's hard right now, but God's promise awaits you. Stay in the race. We need encouragement. Everybody, nobody can live as an island, but everybody needs encouragement. And in our culture, we're filled really with basically what? Negativity, gossip, and bickering. Think about our current political context. I don't, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on thing. There could be a little bit more encouragement going on. But the same is true in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. Even people that think differently than us, even people that believe differently, we're still called to what? Encourage. Bring a word of grace. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that not to let any harmful talk come out of our mouths, anything that tears down, but rather only let a word that is helpful and build others up according to their need at their moment of need. Build, up, build them up at their moment of need. Those words that flow from us should be words of encouragement and exhortation. Today, you are a coach. People of hope have a loose grip on the things of this world. People of hope are pursuing purity. People of hope are coaches. They're encouraging. They're exhorting others to remain faithful. Who are you coaching today? Everybody this week, here's an extremely practical thing. Grab your pen. This is extremely practical. Everybody this week, grab a stamp and an envelope. Everybody needs to send one note of encouragement to someone else. You cannot send it to me that assignment's already been given. Everybody needs to send one note of encouragement this week to someone. What have you seen in someone else that you want to encourage? What have you seen someone else do well that you want to say, hey, that's awesome. How can I help you in that? Maybe it's your boss at work who's treating you unfairly. Just send them a note saying, hey, appreciate working with you here at this company. Thank you for your service. Don't lie. Don't be like, hey, you're a great boss. But send them a note and try to encourage them as a person. Everybody this week send one note of encouragement because you're a coach. I don't know about you, but those long journeys, are we there yet? Nobody likes the long journey. But that five-year-old has that expectation that the best is yet to come. And the journey here on earth, we were created for this journey. The problem is the journey's been corrupted by sin. Yet we can still experience joy and peace on this journey when we're focused on the destination, the resurrection and the return 
of Jesus Christ. Today, you don't get to leave the journey. No matter what, when you walk out of here, you're still on the journey. The question is this. Are you going to have the mindset of a five-year-old? Are you going to be the big brother that's constantly bickering and throwing M&Ms at the five-year-old? Let us be the five-year-old who lives with a clear expectation and a sure confidence because Jesus Christ has died and risen again and Jesus Christ has promised to come and give us new life through the resurrection. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise you and thank you for giving us hope. God, thank you for the promise of your word. And this morning, Lord, I pray for anyone right now that's in the midst of a difficult circumstance or different difficult experience. God, we ask for a miracle that you would break in and enable them to grieve with hope. God, we pray that you would enable each person in this room to get corrected vision, to focus on your promise. God, thank you for your gift. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And Lord, we come before you today and declare victory in Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.